Well, good morning. It is UGA spring break, and I would not mind being at the beach myself. Good gracious. I was talking to someone before the service, and that's the one thing I really miss. I don't miss the papers, I don't miss the final exams, but I do miss spring break, and we don't get that anymore as adults. I wish we could institute that, but anyway. Hey, do this. I know there's not many of us, but if someone's around you, say hello. Go say, say good morning. How you doing? Be friendly. Talk. All right. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're here this morning, you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. A volunteer's going to come down. We're in a series going through this book. And we are at chapter 11, and we're going to get into that today, okay? This chapter is about communion, the act of communion, and, uh, and so we're going to look at that. But let's start here. I want to talk to you about what happens when you forget something. What happens when you forget something? You ever forgotten something pretty important? Like, I forgot where I put my keys and I need to go pick up my child. That happened to anyone? I mean, that's serious. You're running around trying to remember where you put them. You lost them. Not sure. You forgot where they are. Or you forgot that very important appointment that you were supposed to be at. Right. You thought you put it in your calendar the right way, but you put it in a week ahead or a week earlier and you missed that appointment or just something as simple as. You forgot what was important in life. You got so busy, you got so caught up that you forgot what really matters in life. This happens to all of us. We're forgetful creatures. We forget things all the time. And our passage is going to talk about this. What happens when you forget about Christ? What happens when you forget about Christ? We know what happens when you forget your keys or you forget your appointment. But what happens when you lose sight of him in your normal week, in the flow of your week? What do you do? Are you a business person? Are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a student who didn't get to go on spring break and you're here today? Who are you? What's your life like? What's your week like? Have you ever found yourself going into the week and you just lost sight? You forgot Christ. That's what this passage is going to talk about. And maybe for you is just for a day, maybe a whole week or maybe even longer. We all do this. We struggle to keep God before us. Psalm 16, David says, I keep the Lord always before me. The theologians call it this God conscious being God conscious throughout the day where our minds are just fixed on the reality of of God. It could be thinking of God during the day. It could be talking to God during the day. It could be as simple as just having God in mind when we make different decisions or choices during our day. I don't know about you, but I think it's really easy to forget Christ. The good news is this. Christ knows that we're forgetful creatures, so he's given us something to remember him. You find it right here in the passage. 
It's called communion or the Lord's Supper. To remember him. He knows we forget. Take a look. Look for it. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23. Paul writes, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said these words. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this so that you remember me. Verse 25. In the same way, also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance to remember me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord until he comes. This is the Lord's Supper. This is taking communion. And it's this ancient practice that we do at the beginning of every week on the Lord's Day here in church. That's what we do every week together. And not only that, when we take communion, we remember Jesus in a very interesting way. Like when you want to remember someone, what do you do? You just think about them, right? You run through past memories of that person and you bring them to mind and you just think about that individual, right? What's so interesting about this is that it doesn't just this practice, it doesn't just engage your mind to remember the Lord. Right? You remember the cross and what he's done for you, his body broken, his bloodshed. You, you remember, use the mind. Right? Hopefully, you also use the heart, the emotions. You, you, your heart is stirred for what Christ has done for us. But not just that. You also use the body. He says, eat. Remember me by eating. Now, I like that because I like to eat. Okay? Remember me, not just with your mind, not just with your heart, but remember me by eating something. We don't just think about him to remember him. What this says is that we eat him. It's powerful stuff. Look again, verse 24. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood or of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember him by eating him. That's interesting stuff. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is not the actual physiological this stale wafer that we use. Can we be honest about that? Okay. We don't have real bread for you. We have this little thing I was saying this morning to a friend. Um, we order these off Amazon. Okay. Nothing too special about them. They come in. But uh, the thing with this is, is we don't believe it's physiologically the flesh or the blood of Jesus. We don't even take real wine like the Catholics. I grew up Catholic and um, you had real wine, and that was always a shock when you were in second grade. Um, it's like, whoa, mom, this burns. What is this? So we don't even do that. We just have grape juice from Amazon in a little container, okay? 
So it's not even real wine. And no, we're not Catholic. We don't believe in this uh, theology, this doctrine called transubstantiation. It's quite a full word. Transubstantiation. They believe that it literally physiologically becomes the actual flesh of Christ and the actual blood of Christ. We, We don't believe that, but we do believe as the Protestant church has for hundreds of years since the Reformation, that by faith and that by God's spirit, somehow this does become true spiritual food for our souls. We believe that. That by God's spirit and by faith, it's a mysterious thing, it's a God thing, but we believe that this does in some way become true spiritual food for us. We believe that God feeds us spiritually with his son every Lord's day. And so communion, as you see right here in the text, it's really about two things, according to the Bible. Two main things is why we do this. Number one, to remember him. That's what this passage is about. And then number two, to be spiritually fed by Christ every week. That's what it's about. Remembering and being fed by Christ. That's why when you look at the historical records, the early church took communion every single week. Every week they did that. For some reason, a lot of denominations as the church has gone on, you know, it's like once a month or once a quarter or, or whatever. And uh, I just believe that if this is about remembering Christ, I'm pretty good at forgetting him. And this is about being spiritually fed. I need that every week. Then my gosh, every time we get together on the Lord's Day, we're going to take communion. That's why we do that here at Grace Athens. We think it's really important. You know, Jesus didn't institute a lot of different practices or sacraments, really just two. It was baptism and communion. And that must mean because they're really important. And so that's why we take it every Lord's Day. This passage is going to talk about three things. We've already gotten to one of them. It's going to talk about the purpose of communion, the perversion of communion, and the preparation for communion. So it's purpose. That's verses 23 through 26. If you look at your Bible, it's going to talk about the perversion of it. That's verses 17 through 22. And then it's going to talk about the right preparation for it. What you should be doing and thinking and feeling before you take it every week. Verses 27 through the rest of the chapter. Okay? So let's take a look at the first part, which is the perversion of it. Paul's writing to Corinth. It was a conglomeration of house churches, and they were kind of getting this wrong. Here's how it goes. Pick up in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse, he says. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Paul goes on, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So he kind of talks about that. Now he talks about the Lord's Supper. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? He says, verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let's stop there. What's going on here? 
In the early church, they had this practice, had quite a name, called love feasts. I'm not kidding. Love feasts, which sounds like something like an illicit activity to me at least, but love feasts. Sounds like something they did in the 60s. Love feasts. Are you alive this morning? That was somewhat humorous, okay? I know it's spring break and most people are gone. Come on, help me. Help me here. All right. Love feasts. What was that, John? Well, let me tell you. Love feasts were when the early church would basically get together for fellowship. It was like a big potluck dinner. And at these big potluck dinners, um, they would eat and they would fellowship and they would just connect as human beings and they might pray. But it always would end with communion. And so what Paul's talking about here is in the Corinthian church, they had people all over the um, social spectrum, social, socioeconomic spectrum. Some had money, many did not. And what he's talking about in these verses, take a look. So verse 20 he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What he's talking about is the wealthier folks in the church would arrive earlier than the rest and they would have the food because they had the means. And what was happening is they would go ahead and eat their meal, they would go ahead and drink their wine, and they would go ahead and have a really good time before the rest of the church got there. Now it says that some went hungry. Why? Because when the the, the folks that did not have as much money, did not have as much food arrived, all the food had already been eaten. And so it was just this pretty toxic culture and community where they weren't looking out for each other. And these love feasts, these fellowship times had turned into really just a time to party. And they would go early and they were being exclusive and there was factions as it talks about. And they were excluding other people in the community, and it says they would go hungry, it says they would get drunk, it says it just was a mess. The perversion of communion. Okay? Let's go to the next section, verse 27. So that's the perversion of it in that community, which I'm not aware of any of that in our community, but still good to know about it. Verse 27, I think we can relate to even more, talks about preparation. What should be going on inside you before in the next few moments we take communion. Verse 27, Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious. Verse 28, Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We'll come back to that. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, Paul says, are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we, but if we judged ourselves truly, would we not be judged? But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pause there. Paul's saying... This is a really big deal. This represents the body and blood of Christ. This is an institution that Jesus gave us from his very own words. He only gave us two, baptism and communion. This really matters to him. And there's a certain way to take it. There's a certain way to prepare your mind and heart to receive of this each week. 
What does he say? Verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. What does it mean to examine yourself before you take communion? I think it's as simple as this. This is what the church has taught for hundreds of years. Before you take communion, you look back to the week you just had, right? We always come here on Sunday, right? Before this, you had Monday through Saturday, and now you're here. And what you want to do before you take communion, it means to biblically examine yourself, is to examine the past six days. And when you examine them, examine, did I walk with the Lord this week? What was this week like? Or the areas of sin in my life? Or the areas where there's a lack of devotion or communication with the Lord? What was my week like in light of my relationship to God? Loving God and loving people. That's it. And whatever comes to mind that falls short, you confess that. That's what it means. To examine and then to confess those sins. So the church practice for hundreds of years has been... And a lot of denominations do a very formal version of this. But it's just to confess your sins to the Lord before you take communion. That's what it means to examine yourself. To get those things out to the Lord. To confess them. To receive his forgiveness as it talks about in 1 John. And to with a clean heart and clean conscience partake in the body and blood of Christ. So that's what we should do. That's what it means to examine yourself beforehand. So that's the perversion of it. That's the right preparation for it. I want to go back to the purpose of it. Look back at verse 24. Jesus' words. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. There's two reasons to take communion according to the Bible. To remember him and to be fed by him. I want to tell you a story from my own life about the purpose of communion. So I was thinking about this. My kind of story with this practice of taking communion. So like I said, I grew up Catholic. And so communion is a very big deal in the Catholic Church. And every week we would take communion and there was all kinds of ritual around it and there was bells and there was incense and there was a lot. There was certain clothes and certain words that were said. It was just a lot of ritual that surrounded it. And like I said, I remember taking first communion, which is a big deal in that church and the first time I had wine and all of that. And it's just a big deal. It meant nothing to me. <laughs> Confession. I was agnostic, not as a second grader, I didn't know what that meant, but in high school, in the Catholic Church, it meant nothing to me. I just did it because my parents wanted me to do it, and that's fine, you know, obey your parents, but it didn't mean much to me. I come to faith, end of my senior year, and communion started to mean more to me, obviously, but then, after college, I got to live in a monastery with Catholic monks, and these monks would take communion every morning. And we would get up every morning at 3.30, which never made sense to me. No one should wake up that early. And we would have service at 4. And every single morning, we would take communion. Okay? 
And I remember, maybe I just didn't have enough coffee that morning, but it just started to irk me more and more every week. Why do we have to take communion every single morning at this ungodly hour? Why do we do it? Why can't we just take it once a week? Like at Mass on Sunday. Why does it have to be every single morning? And over time, I came to realize why these monks wanted to take communion every morning. And it was this. They truly believed that to live their day and to follow God well, they had to be spiritually fed by Him every single morning. They truly believed that they were dependent upon God in the same way we're dependent upon food. Try and go your day without eating. It's not easy. We're all dependent upon eating, upon food. Three meals a day, sometimes four, right? For me. You gotta eat. You gotta eat to live. And in the same way, I think this is why Jesus potentially chose to remember him, to remember his cross and sacrifice by the act of eating, is because it's this sign that not only we're dependent on food to live, but we're dependent upon God to live. We're dependent upon God to even follow God. We love God with God's own love. Over and over, you see that this is just central to the Christian faith, dependence upon him. And so every single morning, these monks believed that they couldn't go about their day without being fed by him. Now, I'll be honest, I think that's a bit extreme. But I like the heart. I like the heart. It's about being fed by him. It's about that dependence. It's about receiving from him to go forward. And here's what I want to say to bring this to a close. This is a very simple passage. I want to say this. As you get older, and as the years mount up of following Christ, I think I'm on about 20 years of following him. And this is real fresh, and I'm off notes here. So bear with me, I hope this makes sense. Those practices in the Christian life that are not dependent upon you become more and more meaningful. What do I mean? Communion. It doesn't really matter how I feel this morning. It doesn't really matter if I'm feeling the music or if my heart is emotionally connected to him or if I have to drum up all this and, you know, spiritual fervor and whip it up. You don't have to do that with communion. You eat it. And you remember it. It's a simple act. I think as we get older and we learn more about ourselves and we learn more about our mixed motives. When you're younger, you're not aware of a lot of that stuff. But as you get older, you become more and more aware of your mixed motives. I'll, let me give you an example. Sometimes it's not easy for me to sing certain songs that you sing. Like, and I hope we're not singing the song like maybe we are. But songs about like, I surrender all. I surrender, I can't sing one of the I surrender all, how are you I can't sing that. I can sing it in faith. But if I'm honest, and I think as you get older, you get more honest with yourself. You see more of yourself. 
You know your motives. You know you're a mixed bag of messiness. Do I really love this person? Well, I'm trying to, but I also kind of want to get something out of this. You just get more honest with yourself than you don't. You're not as ignorant of your own insides. And that being the case, sometimes these practices that demand more emotion and more however you want to say it, they're a little harder as you get older. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't sing in faith and all of those things. But it's hard for me to sing, I surrender all. This is easy. I come to it, I confess my sins. Lord, I know I'm a piece of junk sometimes. I'm a sinner. I know that, Lord, I do. I confess all my sins, and Lord, I know I'm just dependent on you. If I'm have a week, or I'm going to follow you, not be an idiot, I need you to be simple, straightforward. I don't have to drum up any emotion. I don't have to lie to myself. I don't have to sing songs that are hard to sing. I just eat. And I remember him, and I say, feed me. Reading the Bible. When I was younger in the faith, not as aware of myself, you know, I'd get pretty intense sometimes. And I'd say things like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to class until I read this passage and you speak to me. I'm not leaving my room until I hear from you. Right? There's still room for that. I'm not saying that's bad. There's some seasons you need to press in that way. But as you get older, what I have found is that the more simpler, straightforward, biblical practices of the faith, they really carry you in every season. So sometimes what I do now, I've gotten real boring. I've got a Bible reading plan. It tells me what to do. Read this passage, read this passage, and read this passage. Awesome. Thank you for telling me what to do. And I read it. I just read it. I just do it. It's just this daily practice. And I've found over time that the simple the straightforward, the practices that aren't so dependent upon me and my state of being and my emotions, but are more just centered on him. This communion is about you, Christ, and what you've done. I want to remember you and feed me. This Bible is stories about you. It's not all about me. I'm not David killing Goliath. It's about David. It's about you. It's, it's when, you, when you put it that way, when it's centered on him and not about me. Just the older you get, the more those kinds of ways engaging with God. They feed you, and they're there all the time. doesn't matter what you're going through. They're ready to serve you as they've served millions of people for thousands of years. And so I want to invite the band up. And I want you this morning to go ahead and grab the elements of communion. And if you forgot to grab them, I think some volunteers can hand them to you. You can slip up your hand and they'll get them to you. And remember what this is about. It's about remembering him and being fed by him at the beginning of your week. And remember what it says, right preparation. To examine, to confess our sins, and then to partake. And so I want to pray for us. And as I pray, feel free to tune me out and just confess this past week to the Lord.
and get your heart ready to remember him and to be fed by him. Lord, we come to you again. We come to your table as millions have across the globe today and as millions have for 2,000 years. We are grateful for this practice, for its simplicity and for its power. Lord, I confess the past six days that I've been a sinner saved by grace, that I've fallen short of who I am in you and what you've commanded of me to do. But I'm grateful for your mercy. I'm grateful for your grace that I still have a seat at the table because of what you've done for me. And so I pull up a chair and I remember you again, Jesus. And I ask that you would feed me again. I need it. We pray all this in his name and everyone said, amen. You may take up the body and blood of Christ.